Hello, and welcome back to the Brothers Book Club podcast. We are here with our continuing series of reviews of the Penguin Little Black Classics collection. That is a collection of 80 pieces of world literature in slim little black volumes. Nice and tidy for us. This is episode number 40 of that review collection, which feels like, though, it might be slightly arbitrary. Kind of a fun milestone. We are exactly halfway through the review set after today's episode, which is remarkable. Today I will be reviewing The Steel Flea, which is a short story by Nikolai, it might be Nikolai, Nikolai Leskov, let's go with that, and a Russian author from the 1800s. If you've listened to any of our most recent episodes, approximately episodes 21 to 39, to be precise about it, you'll know that I've been doing some more experimental reviews, playing with the format, trying new things, trying out different review structures, basically. I think for the next set of 20, so 41 through 60, I'm going to settle on a review format that I've been sort of tinkering with, Um, but today I do want to try one more bit of experimentation, one more small thing that as I've been reading through these Penguin classics, I've been thinking about a lot. And that is the description, or the descriptions, I suppose, that Penguin puts on the backs of these books. They're basically the inside cover sheet, the the summary, the tempting little bit of description that's supposed to, I think, persuade people to read or get them enticed or excited to read the work. Now, if you've been paying extra close attention, you may notice that in the podcast description for each episode, I actually copy and paste Penguin's description just word for word. I put an intro that just says from the cover, and then I write down what the cover description is. And I do this for a couple of reasons. One, their summaries are usually really succinct. They're pretty well-written and descriptive, and they do give you a broad overview of the tone or the style that you're about to find or encounter in the work. They're usually pretty good and, and again, succinct main ideas. I've also found that when I've gone to write my own kind of flavor text or summary of my episode and trying to find descriptions and words to fit the the work i often just stumble upon whatever penguin said kind of naturally which is can be kind of a funny coincidence so i'm writing my own thing and then i go to look at theirs and and copy theirs over into the podcast description and i just find that we use the same you know like adjective or or tone word or genre word or something so it's kind of a funny coincidence so i think you know by that criteria alone Perhaps I can trust the penguin descriptions on the back, though I think, as I've said, each one stands up on kind of its own merits. And again, as a one-sentence descriptor goes, they're extremely solid and reliable. So here's what I'm going to do today. I am going to take the description for The Steel Flea, which is, again, a short story by Nikolai Leskov, and I'm going to analyze the work through the description alone. So I've pulled out a couple of snippets from that description and from the flavor text, and I'm going to use those descriptions to break down this short story, talk about it, review it. Hopefully at the end I'll settle on a reviewed number and can recommend it to you, the listener, or maybe recommend that you avoid it. And so without further ado, let's jump right in to the Steel Flea. Now, the first phrase in the review, or in the um, preview, I guess I should say, from Penguin, that I'm going to focus on is uproarious romp. Um, And actually, let me just read the whole description for you um, right here. It says from the cover. An uproarious romp of one-upsmanship and drunkenness from the 19th century Russian comic genius. And so again, the first phrase in that description I want to pick out and talk through is uproarious romp. 
Is it a bit of a romp? At times, I suppose, the main narrative focus of this story is essentially the creation of a steel flea, which is just what it sounds like, a little bit of engineering and a little mechanism um, of industrialization, basically, that a few English workers give to a Russian czar and his sort of not handler, but a noble person with him. And they're both really impressed by the flea, although the other guy, the kind of nobleman with him, is off-put by and annoyed. And then the rest of the story is basically about them trying to replicate this steel flea and, and hiring Russian craftsmen to recreate it and just sort of the adventures of the worksmen that try and make this steel flea. Um, early in the story, there are a couple, I, I guess I, you could call them uproarious moments. They describe, for example, um, Platov is the guy who goes with the emperor. Sorry, I shouldn't have said czar, the emperor. Um, Platov goes with him and it says that he gets out at every station and in his aggravation, he would drink up a big glass of vodka, eat a little salt mutton, light up his enormous pipe, which was big enough to hold a whole pound of Zukov tobacco, and then take his seat without saying a word, sitting beside the czar in the carriage. Oh, see, it is a czar. Never mind. Um, I think the the very visual image of fitting an entire pound of tobacco in, uh, in one pipe is extraordinary. That would... Uh, You'd probably have to hold the pipe with two, maybe four hands. You'd probably have to enlist some help there. And, you know, that's a small moment. I don't know if I'd say uproarious, but it's kind of a goofy little image and gives him a fair bit of characterization in the process as sort of a excessive, but kind of not mumbling, but pretty quiet or stolid figure. And then later when they revisit the Englishman, the craftsman, the um, one of the craftsmen who they call Lefty, says when he arrives there he's chatting with the englishmen about their steel fleas and how they produce them um it, there's a sentence of their encounter that says the englishmen marveled even more and started pumping both lefty and the courier full of wine and kept on this way for three whole days and then they said now that's enough and this sentence i think embodies a lot of what i did not enjoy about the, this story which is just a withholding in the parts that should have been uproarious i think i mean that's a three-day bender uh, getting drunk in a foreign country on wine presumably going on all kinds of adventures and doing some misdeeds and causing trouble perhaps i don't know i'm just inferring all that because it doesn't even say it skips over the interesting part and instead throws us into some kind of these bland conversations about russian production or the english character and there are these bits of nationalism in there which are kind of interesting but you take the i mean if if you want to tell me uh to write that in an uproarious way and you said okay you've got these people drinking wine for three days going on a multi-day international bender you know which parts are you going to write to make it seem like a romp Uh, i'm not going to skip the part where they're drinking and partying and then get to some you know kind of staid conversation about nationalism and the characters of different countries and their manufacturing i'm going to focus on the actual part where they are causing trouble maybe bringing some mayhem and it could just be that um, at times the translation feels a little stiff. I think in that quote that we, I just discussed, it, that couldn't possibly be the case because the literal structure of the story just skips this potentially really uproarious and you know romp-filled scene. Um, but there's another page uh, that I pulled a quote from on 26 where Platov, the sort of nobleman character, says, um, he, he shouts, You're lying, you scoundrels, and I won't let you get away from me like that. One of you will go to me with P- St. Petersburg, Petersburg, and there I'll get out of him what kind of skullduggery you've been up to. 
Um, you scoundrel skullduggery. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if this is the most uproarious this dialogue could be translated, um, though far be it for me to give advice on translation in a language I do not speak, because uh, <laughs> presumably this was translation uh, translated from Russian. Um, but just that dialogue there feels a little stiff, of course, outdated, you know, for a modern reader, anyway, to interpret. And just the flatness of the threat and the, the blandness of it, it doesn't have any hint of malice in it, doesn't have any, I mean, it has anger, I guess, literally, because there's an exclamation point, but, you know, that's not going to translate very harshly or aggressively, I don't think. There's another bit of translated dialogue, too, with the with the czar, the emperor, where he's having this disagreement with Platov early in the story, and he keeps repeating to him, now, please, don't go and spoil my politics, which actually kind of works as a bit of a sort of a satirical commentary on how the emperor's just focused on, like, achievements and being dazzled and sort of like, it, it kind of feels like a slight satire of his almost frivolous way of looking at the world or something, like that he, he views politics as just net social niceties and like, you know, and in this case, they're debating spending a lot of money to buy the steel flea that he's so impressed by. And so that, that could be a slight, you know, dig, I suppose. But again, it just doesn't feel, I, I didn't feel the uproarious or romp part of this. And again, when there were moments when the, that description might be fitting, it seems like they just kind of brush past it in the narrative. So thus far, I would say a zero for one in terms of uh, the effectiveness of the description, though I could see why Penguin pulled that. I will also reiterate it this time before I sound too critical, maybe, that Wikipedia, our go-to source of information here on the pod, also described his style, Leskov's style, as sort of a... Um, noteworthy or remarkably comical and unique way of writing in the Russian canon. So again, there could be translation things at work here. There could just be things I don't, you know, I don't have the comparative knowledge for to, to analyze properly. But for me, modern reader, you know, that has gotten through some good chunk of literary history, didn't feel uproarious or romp-like to me. Let's move to the second description that I want to isolate in that Penguin summary, which is that it's a story of one-upsmanship and drunkenness. Now, this one I can come right out and say is you know, extremely accurate. Literally, the whole narrative structure is built around the Russian Tsar and Emperor and Platov seeing the steel flea, being stunned by English craftsmanship and quote-unquote art. They call they call um, like mechanical engineering art many times in the story, which I don't know if that was commentary or just translation or what, but I, I found that really kind of a funny description in and of itself. But anyway, they, they're so impressed by this that they go on a quest to replicate the flea and find their own Russian steel flea. It leads them to employ a couple of uh, small-town craftspeople, these sort of pr people portrayed as, like, simple-thinking Russian... I guess you could maybe call them peasants, but they're, you know, they're like metal workers. And it leads to my favorite quote once they're on... And they begin that endeavor once they're on that quest to make the steel flea. Um, people are trying to get their attention, and one of them shouts, Go ahead and burn us up. We ain't got time. And then he drew in his plucked head, banged the shutters tight, and got to work again. But it sort of underscores the... <laughs> the keep your head down and grind mentality of uh, of the Russian workers in the story. And I think that ain't got time actually is really interestingly translated the way, I mean, uh, to translate the word ain't into this is, uh, is a bold, interesting choice. Kind of underscores the class differences there. I think the dialogue and the contrast between how Platov and the emperor speak and then how the peasants speak is extremely noteworthy and just underscores class divisions, I think. Now, as I said before, there are more than a few hints at, at kind of national commentary and these ideas of these up-and-coming, up you know, 1800s nation-states competing and, and 
having different character and trying to define their cultures and stand out as societies and civilizations. This story has more than hinted that. I mean, the whole premise of it, again, is that these Englishmen have created a mechanical wonder that the Russians cannot seem to emulate or don't seem to be able to emulate. The, the Tsar is extremely skeptical that they could recreate such a device, the steel flea. On page 19, there's a bit of commentary on the church's role in all of this, or at least in Russian life. It says that people from, I believe, the region, it's not Kiev. Let's see, find it on the page. Mount Mount Athos. It says they um, they became the, known as the best managers of monastery household affairs, and they make the most capable collectors of alms. Then later on the page, they skillfully collect contributions even where there is nothing to collect. Uh, these people from Tula, I think, or Mount Athos. And that's, you know, a pretty skewering way to say they, they exploit people and they do not provide a service or aid, but actually just take advantage, um, you know, in a very, at least they're good at what they do, I suppose you could grant them that. And so there is a sort of hint in the narrative that some of the Russian workers or the Russian peasantry, um, and even, I guess, in that case, the, the church apparatus, more powerful entity, would be, I don't know, this sort of not-to-be-trusted exploitative force. Uh, the Russians are, though, while he stays alive in the story, I won't spoil that, um, but while he stays alive, is pretty confident in their abilities, whether justified or not, he seems to think they will be able to recreate this flea and even make their own superior version. The national character could be defined as sort of a a willful drive sort of way on page 22. There's a quote that says, In those days, everything had to be done just right and very fast, so as not to lose a minute that might be useful to Russia. There is the sort of competition that underlies the whole narrative and the whole story. Though it does get, I don't know, a little muddy or foggy, uh, to use some metaphors, later in the narrative, when the, the workman who built the steel flea, the Russian version, left, he goes to England to show it off. There's a lot of debate he has with the English uh, working folks about what the countries are like and how they're different, but it's it's all pretty muddled. Um, there's one line I liked where he, he says, it's true, said Lefty, that everybody's got the same gospel, but our books are thicker than yours and our faith is fuller, which uh, if you are familiar with the Russian literary canon is maybe the best summation of perhaps the Russian point of view on literature, which is if it's bigger and denser, then we win or, you know, like we have put in more thought and that that is the mark of greatness is essentially how long and complex it is. It? And I think as someone myself who finished uh, the Brothers Karamazov, I can at least attest it, it can be really good and fascinating to make a 900 page book. I don't know if it's always worth it. I don't know if your the clarity of your philosophy or the clarity of your insight is uh, kind of buried in a narrative of that length. But that is a very, I think, you know, Russian philosophy in terms of literature. They then go on to debate uh, less clearly about why he wouldn't be able to marry an English uh, girl, is what they say. I would presume we could just say woman instead. Um, but he says, in our country, when a man wants to reveal a circumstantial intention to, in regard to a girl, he sends over a conversational woman. And when she has made a, a preposition, they politely go to house together and look the girl uh, over without concealment and in front of all the relationships, which is about as specific as they get in terms of you know, compare contrast uh, culturally in terms of critique and like, well, why is England so different than Russia? And I just think that a lot of it is kind of brushed away or again, that's about as specific as it gets. And so I think a lot of it is done in summary. And same goes with the, the drunkenness part of this description, the penguin wrote down. 
most of the drunkenness is just kind of breezed past in the story. There's not any long descriptions of debauchery or drunken escapades or something, which, again, to me, if you're going to especially call it uproarious, uh, I would want more of that. So those moments, to me anyway, definitely felt like letdowns, though they are in the narrative. So this one, well, we'll say if, we're keeping, if you're keeping score at home, we'll say Penguin's one for two here, because the second description's really quite accurate in terms of how much it will, you know, deeply satisfy and make you think. That I'll leave mostly up to the reader. Which, of course, brings us to the final point of the Penguin description that I want to maybe contest a little, and that is the phrase comic genius, which is the final two words, which are the final two words, rather, of their description. I would completely contest this. I did not laugh much at this narrative at all, and I've had a couple of good chuckles in other recent Penguin Classic reviews. Let's, um, let's list off a couple. Ryan and I, of course, very much enjoyed revisiting some Jonathan Swift, whose satire is, you know, very blunt force and and aggressive, but effective, I think, in that way. We have a modest proposal, and there were some other views on Ireland in there that I thought were, were funny. There was the satire on murder considered as one of the fine arts, which, again, is another way to push your, your comedy to an 11, so to speak. But it was, again, I thought quite effective in some of the descriptions of how murderers are artistic and crossing over those cultural criticisms are crossing those worlds over uh worked i thought pretty well in that collection and more recently there was the hippo banquet or a hippo banquet by mary kingsley which i thought really had some of the more uh vibrant just pieces of imagery or sensory information in the collection so far and the descriptions of her adventures and travels in west africa were just extremely dense descriptive and at times humorous also at times we covered this in the pod potentially i would say problematic uh in some of the way it exoticizes that's a word now i'm making that a verb um some of the native tribes and people she meets though you know again listen to that pod so i can give you some more detail on that but there were moments there in, in the wildlife description that i thought were really quite i don't know if i'd go uproarious but they're pretty funny and insightful and again compared to those things i just listed this collection or this story the steel flea i don't think holds up as a work of genius really at all let me just quickly revisit some of the descriptions i've already given and things i've already talked about in reviewing this one there might be some religious satire but again it's pretty light maybe a couple pages worth of commentary there were the quotes i read about collecting alms and how the the people from tula are just they are only adequate or they're only excellent at taking money from people, which, yeah, it's, it's a one sentence or one page kind of line where I thought, oh, that's, you know, that's intriguing, bit of a takedown, and then doesn't really get capitalized on. As a bit of a character, a work of kind of character critique or character assassination, there is the very memorable, I thought, death of the czar or the emperor in this one, which I don't want to spoil. If you're going to read it, you'll see how the czar dies, and I thought that moment was kind of funny. But all the other interactions with Platov um, and his critiques of these people who are, you know, practicing skullduggery and their scoundrels, those do just come off as not very biting. The, the language used there and deployed... It feels at best a little old-timey, out-of-date, and at worst, really limp and just not very convincing. As a class commentary, as a bit of commentary and, and maybe a comedy about the difference in, in classes and class rank, or even between nationalities and class, it's, again, just a little muted. Uh, we have those critiques that I talked about between the Englishmen and the Russian workers, but that doesn't amount to very much in the narrative. There's a later quote that's very grim. I don't know if it, this is meant to be comical at all, but one of the workers, again, lefty, he gets kind of lost after this drunken spell, this drunken bout. 
And it says all night long they kept dragging him through all the little winding alleys and transferring him over and over to different hospitals until he was half dead. Then one doctor's assistant told the policeman to take him to the Abufkin, that's I butchered that, sorry, Abufkin Public Hospital, where everybody of unknown social class was taken to die. Just, uh, just grisly stuff there. It's just a grim way to end the story for a character who worked so admirably and um, was able to replicate this invention in a different way. Again, won't spoil that for you. But as a class commentary, I think I'd need more interplay between the emperor, the czar, and that sort of um, elite, and then lefty. There, there's a bit of it, but just not enough to find any strong footing, I don't think. And I think the same could be said for the bits of nationalism, which I, again, I think I've covered in terms of the quotes I wanted to pull. There's a few pages where you get into it, um, but nothing too deep. Not, Not enough depth, I think, for me. And so did I find any of those critiques, any of the commentary to interplay really well? Did I find any of it to be really comical or genius? I No, I didn't come away from this feeling that way at all. I didn't feel that it had one particular or even a couple particular insights to, to grant. Perhaps it does have a deeper commentary on the on Russian character or the, you know, Russian cultural history, identity, something. It could just be that I'm under reading this and that there were certain structural things I didn't pick up on or, you know, think through enough or analyze. But I try and do, you know, a little bit beyond the average reader just reading for casual pleasure. And uh, I didn't pick up on much, so I can't imagine if uh, somebody pulled this off the bookshelf randomly, they would get a ton more out of it, um, though perhaps. I think then, in summary, my critique of the Penguin description, which, man, what a sentence. Never thought I'd be doing that for a book review, but here we are. Uh, my critique, I would say, is that two of them are extremely accurate, though one of them, the comic genius, is disputable. The other one, though, is objectively true. And then, yeah, uproarious romp, to me, that adjective uh, completely misses the mark. I didn't find nearly any part of that to be true, though plot-wise, there are, I guess you could, again, argue, objectively uproarious things. I mean, you can't go on a three-day bender and say it's not that, but the narrative, I don't think, rises to meet that description in really any way. And if you couldn't tell by now... For our 40th episode, 40th review, this time on the Steel Flea, I'm going to rate this a 1, which by the Brothers Book Club podcast standard means that you should not read this. This is a pass. You can probably go find it online for free, as with most of the things we've reviewed, so if you're curious, I say go for it. It certainly wasn't a painful read or anything. I, for one, when I saw it was about an invention, I thought there'd be a bit more about, I don't know, industrialization, and there was, again, there were moments of that stuff, maybe these class differences, but not a ton, and there wasn't a lot about the creation of it. That stuff was also pretty bland. So ultimately, while I don't want to hold my projected assumptions against it, obviously as a analyzing art, that's never a good idea. But I think even on its own merits, as I've just described, it didn't hold up to those descriptions, and I don't think it holds up. Eh, just compared to the bevy of entertainment options that we have here in our uh, year of 2020 quarantine, you know, you're at home, you've got infinite entertainment at your disposal, I think you can skip the steel flea. Oh, you know, I sincerely thank you for at least listening to me review The Steel Flea. Perhaps it saved you a few hours of reading, and hey, that counts for something. As always, I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode. It's, again, incredible to be at the halfway point of our review series. It's truly 
I don't know, remarkable in a way that we've made it this far, and I have every intention, of course, to continue on to the back half of the Penguin Little Black Classic set. I know that next week, uh, for the 41st episode, I'm going to have Amanda back on. She's already read through the books, and we'll be talking some short stories. Um, I won't spoil what those are yet, but they're coming up. And I think soon thereafter, Ryan has threatened to come back on the pod and uh, put the brother's description back in this podcast, which is a really exciting proposition, so he might be back in near and future episodes. The final thing I wanted to mention, too, before I log off here, is that I'm going to do another Best Of collection for 21 through 40. So if you didn't know this, I took episodes 1 through 20 and collected clips from each one and then made episodes where it was basically like a highlights episode, highlight reel, or best of episode. I have a completely different idea for how I'm going to do 21 through 40. It's going to be a totally new format, and just look for that on the feed in the next couple of weeks. I can't promise when I'll post it, but when I do, I'll make a bit of a big show of it or something. I'll try and draw attention to it so you know it's there. But there will be a a highlights episode coming up for that. So thanks again for tuning in, and until next time, we will see you between the classics.